Welcome to Weekday Worship, episode five. Five episodes in. I just threw you off because you were waiting for me to come in with my dog barking. Weekday Worship! And I didn't do it, and you were like hesitant, you didn't know to go forward. I thought we already cut that out last week. Oh, you thought that was the end of it? Yeah, I thought that was the end of of the barking. I, we could we could put out our first podcast poll and yeah, see if see if the people like it. Bark or no bark? Yeah. M- me barking. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not me. Yeah. No, Caleb's no not gonna do it. How about no, if no, I win no. the vote though? That you do have to do it one time. That's fair. But if it's a no vote, if it's a no vote, it's just it just kills it outright. Never get to do it again. No more weekday worship. Like in my. Yes. Weekday worship. <laughs> Fashion. Well, beside, if we're not going to have exciting barking, uh, we might as well get into some some pretty uh, controversial, exciting topics today. Yes. Let's um, do it. I've already notified our publicist. We may lose a few sponsors <laughs> <laughs> over our comments today. So uh, uh, we're really we're really putting ourselves out there, I guess. Yeah. Huge risks to lose our Huge audience, our, yes, our platform. platform. <laughs> All of that influence and credibility we've built up. That potential influence, yes. What? No, never mind. Go ahead. (laughs) I was wondering, like, just speaking of controversy and fan base and all that, I wonder if our... I was wondering how we would describe our followers. Like, what would be characteristic of our our base crowd? Um... Probably some faithful people at Generations and my mom. <laughs> Your mom listens? Oh, yeah, of That's course. amazing. I was just telling, I, we were talking the other day about this, and I was saying how uh, how this is, like, I said something, I think, on Sunday in my sermon that Betsy was, um, my lovely wife, was telling me, oh, you can't say those things. And I was like, oh, okay. And so uh, I realized, so I was telling Caleb, yeah, I've got to, uh, I've got to reserve anything kind of... Uh, controversial for the podcast because because Betsy doesn't listen to the podcast. So yeah, so this is where it's safe for me to say things that maybe I couldn't get away with. Keep the otherwise. questionable stuff. Yeah. for the podcast. Yeah, the edgy, the edgy things is here. Yeah, actually, real quick, this is worth delving into because on oh, Sunday no. I, I judged you specifically. Um, uh, your viewing of two shows uh, actually, oh. Love Is Blind and. Uh, Tiger, uh, Tiger King, King. Tiger yeah, King. W- both of which you're big fans of. I'm a cultural analyst. <laughs> <laughs> cultural analyst. You know, that I, is a very you, sophisticated you know, way of saying you have some embarrassing guilty know, pleasures. No, no, it's all business related. You know, I like to blog yeah, about yeah, yeah. things in the culture. Yeah, so you so had to watch Tiger King for research. Yes, I draw the line though. I draw the line. Well, at, apparently, at I, I said something on Sunday about how we all judge each other, and I used an example of how you know entertainment. I judge people who watch shows like these, and and I was like, I know a lot of you watch that, so I'm judging. You. And I was, you know, I was tongue in cheek, I was joking, but Betsy felt like my intensity and seriousness was maintained in my expression and tone, and it wasn't obvious that I was joking, and so I came off as very. But for, for so. the record, didn't you try Love is Blind? And it wasn't your piety that stopped you from watching it. You just thought it was It stupid. was unwatchable. <laughs> it was utterly unwatchable. I mean, I made it... I think Betsy and I got maybe three and a half to four minutes in, if that. And we were both like, no, this is... No. <laughs> so uh, Matt you Anderson, and, if you're listening, you're you probably beating your steering wheel. I know, I know. 
uh, Matt Anderson, who we like to call El Oso. Uh, he, uh, yeah, I've never he, called him that. He and he and Caleb were big fans of uh, Love Is yes. Blind. So um, I don't know if you're proud of that or if it's more of like. Well, now that everyone knows Shame. I now watch Cheesy TV, yeah. um, I guess we can get into yeah. the real topics today. All right, today. cool. All right. So... Well, all that was to say, I'm sorry if I offended you on Sunday. Yes. I was intending to be silly and yeah. jokey. It doesn't come off well, because in the pulpit, I, I tend to be a little more serious. So um, I guess I should just not joke. Yeah, or you should uh, maybe practice your jokes <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> Oh no! I gotta smile more. I gotta smile. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe okay. give it like a the Joel Osteen cheese smile. You know? Wow, wow. Just I mean, calling he's out. He's pretty good at that. He's not good at many things, but the smile's on point. I'm I'm more working on the Joel Osteen hair, <laughs> and that's not going well for me. The perm. So, <laughs> I mean, if that's a, yeah, sure. Okay, so we've been around the block this morning. Netflix, Joel Osteen. Uh, we've been around. Caleb, James. Caleb's viewing preferences yes and that had nothing to do with what anything i wrote down of we're of sorry substance we're, we're, we're sorry that we wasted your last seven or eight minutes wow that's pretty good it was seven seven minutes 30 seconds oh wow. he can't see the clock i can only see the clock so i've got an internal timer mm. it's like i was gonna say it runs like clockwork but that wouldn't it, be a very good simile considering it it's literally referring to your a clock. sermons are always over time so. wow okay okay <laughs> Wow. That's a preacher's clock. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> okay, so what we were actually going to talk about today is... I hope you feel good about that one. I do. I do feel good about the, <laughs> the banter. Maybe a little... It was a little long, but... No, I, I'm hoping you feel good about that last zing you got oh, in. Oh, it, it was good. I practiced it in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we were going to talk about a, something that came, came out in James' sermon besides his... Uh, television critiques <laughs> and it was uh, this idea of culture and evaluating culture and um, uh, p- particularly in Peter's experience of, of mm. Gentile culture and Jewish culture and seeing how the gospel uh, brings out the best in those and kind of uh, uh, helps us um, push out the not so good in those and uh he didn't really have time to, to go into it too much, but I thought it was a great thing or, or kind of idea to, to flesh out on the podcast because, I mean, it's literally one of the biggest uh, headlines of the day, which is how do we think about our own society? How do we think about our own culture in terms of our history, in terms of how we live now, in terms of what needs to change, what we need to keep? Um, that scenario that Peter was dealing with is a scenario I think the culture today, especially in America, is talking about right now. Um, so if you weren't if you weren't listening on Sunday or you forgot, maybe James, we could just talk about that this particular aspect of of I think we were in Acts chapter ten. Acts ten, yeah, we're uh, Peter and Cornelius. Uh, Peter's in Joppa, Cornelius is in Caesarea, both receive from the Lord, uh, well, Cornelius receives a visitation from an angel, Peter has a vision from the Lord, um, and the one from uh, Peter in particular is uh, uh, 
you know, a, something like a sheet coming down from the heavens with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds and living creatures, uh, some clean, some unclean within the Jewish uh, framework. Uh, and uh, God tells Peter uh, in his sort of revulsion of the unclean animals, he says, he tells him to get up to kill and eat, which Peter resists and says, by no means, three times. And uh, God tells him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And, uh, and so we've got these, this cultural barrier for Peter of, uh, of clean and unclean, and he's not willing to associate. He, he even recognizes later that, that what it would, as he's interacting with Cornelius and his household, that, that he's not supposed to be in the presence of Gentiles, that he's not supposed to be with people from another nation in their mm-hmm. home, um, that there was something defiling for him in the social and spiritual sphere within the Jewish, uh, within the Jewish cultural practice. And so there's this distance, um, that he had to maintain. So, and, and this is the, the chapter where God is sort of, uh, revealing the extent of Christ's work on the cross and how it, how it, uh, you know, uh, erases these dividing lines, uh, and is reconciling to himself, Jew and Gentile alike, into one new person. So, okay. So you got this this vision that Peter Peter gets yeah. of of clean, unclean, kind of this animal imagery that has to do with his uh, with that's restricted within Jewish culture, which God established, and um, and then you've got this this uh, vision of of God kind of breaking down some of those barriers, expanding out mm-hmm. um, the barriers in that image. Yeah. And then what the image or the vision uh, that Peter got uh, before, uh, it becomes a, a real-life event with Cornelius, right? It's right. like he has to live that out, that vision in real life with Cornelius. Mm-hmm. And so you've got Cornelius um, as a God-fearing man, right? So he's a, he's a guy outside of Jewish culture, but mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's, a, he's a worshiper of the one true living God, and but he's he's got kind of these pagan influences. He's comes from a different place. He's a he's a Gentile, so in, um, in uncircumcised. Different. Yeah, he's uncircumcised. So you've got all of these these once dividers or barriers, right? That are now kind of Peter's asked to he's asked to hop over all of those. Yeah. And um, what was interesting that when when you're talking about in the sermon is. You weren't saying that it meant for Peter to basically bash or take a dump on Jewish culture, right? <laughs> and say, "Oh, this uh, this is no. all bad. Let me throw it out the door right. and uh, and completely reject my past in order to to embrace this new I, this new uh, expanding of the gospel." But rather, he had to deal with uh, the the good holiness and the what God had established in Jewish culture and um, expanded out as God expanded the gospel. So it's kind of this kind of sifting through the good and the bad or the, or the, uh, the new and the old to, to, to bring unity. Mm-hmm. Or how would you say that differently? Well, I think there's the... So the primary... You know, one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago, and this is really funny, we've got... So we're, filming, we're recording this episode and um, we're up in my living room and... All of a sudden, uh, McLean came pitter-pattering through the room, like, so you might have heard some little 
dunk, 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 the pitter patter of her feet. And then Carly, <laughs> once Rick McLean clears the room, uh, Carly, our dog, starts coming down and is like wagging and pitter patter of her feet. Sorry. So it's distracting. Anyway. It's a petting zoo. Yeah. It's <laughs> something like that. Uh, so, something that we talked about a couple weeks ago when we're talking about biblical interpretation, we were talking about hermeneutics, kind of related things a few weeks back. And yeah. one of the things is that. It's really important that we recognize that the text itself has a meaning, right? The, the writer intends it to mean something specific. Mm-hmm. And then there might be a variety in, in many applications for us in our time of yeah. a given text, but the text has a meaning. And the meaning of the text of Acts 10, what Luke is um, unfolding for us, is the transnational sort of expansion of the gospel beyond the Jewish ethnic people to all peoples that, that yeah. that's where acts 10 is taking us so that's the that's the meaning of the text but yeah. then there's all these uh applications for us to think through in our own time of uh cultural barriers that maybe they're that we we erect that, that keep people outside of the gospel or outside of the scope of god's grace maybe in our own minds or at some functional level and so i i, I yeah so I, um, I can't remember what your question now was other than you just asked me to expand on that. I think there's this danger that we have where in seeing God give Peter not just permission, but this shove off the cliff to go, no, no, no you can't have these barriers anymore. Mm-hmm. We want to take that, that accommodation of the Lord and we want to trace it out. We want to make it assimilation. And so, like you said, Peter's cultural background of Jewish Jewish culture. I mean, it, m- much of that was actually given to them by God, yeah, right? That, that was law. part of God's law in shaping and forming them as his distinctive people on earth. So it wasn't unfaithful of Peter historically to have, hear- to have adhered to those things, but, but God was expanding some things here and he was, he, 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 he's, um, reapplying and reinterpreting things in, in, in this sort of progressive uh, uh, revelation kind of way with Peter. And so um, so what I was trying to do was, the, the, so we talked about three barriers that we have to gospel advance in our times. And the first one of those is the one that you're referring to within the context of the sermon, which was um, that we, we have these earthly categories that we kind of formulate that wall people off from the people of God and from the grace of God. Um, again, either explicitly or just functionally. Uh, and, and so I think we have to think really uh, carefully through our categories yeah. and those things which are biblical versus those things which are really just cultural, um, and we give them biblical weight. Yeah. So we could go a lot there. We could go a lot of different ways there, but, but maybe the place to, to hone in is, is this particularly Peter with this identity as a Jew, right? As in, as a, someone from Israel within that culture, um, which you, I remember, even remember you talking about this as a sermon, had, was, was a distinctive, uh, they were meant to be a more just and holy society than those around them, right? Yeah. So there's, there's a, there's an aspiration and a foundation mm-hmm. maybe that's that that does make their uh, his society or his culture it does make them uh, elevated in their in what they were built upon and what they were uh, uh, 
aspiring to as a country or as a society compared to their pagan neighbors. Um, but I think within that awareness or within that, uh, uh, that idea that they were, uh, their foundation, what they were aspiring to and what they were called to was, was elevated uh, compared to their p- pagan neighbors that uh, they themselves, the Jews, and maybe Peter here in this instance, it kind of shines through that that meant that they were automatically better. They were automatically right. They were automatically uh, that automatically gave them the right to put down their neighbors here. So uh, Israel's place in the world uh, as elevated was something that God set on them, mm-hmm. and and called them to and, and and empowered for them. It wasn't something that they achieved for themselves and therefore provoked God's love, right? Yeah. And I think some of the nationalistic streak and Jewish disciples that we see in the New Testament comes from maybe reversing that yeah. as though there was something inherent in them when the Bible's explicit that there was nothing about right yeah. about them that provoked God's love or choosing of them for sure um, I, I read once and I don't even remember where but there's a there's some book where in describing the law of God for Old Testament Israel in terms of the Mosaic Covenant as not the ultimate perfection of human society, really, but it was this massive leap forward from the surrounding degraded pagan cultures, which for anybody familiar with, let's say, Lord of the Rings, I think that the, the way that uh, this author compared it was it's like an orc culture. And and uh, that, that, that was sort of definitional for the world or characteristic of the world and the pagan yeah. societies and in the ancient Near East. And here God is is trying to draw out from that a distinctive people who, instead of being like orc culture, have something like elvish culture mm. or That's an interesting or even idea. hobbit culture, maybe. Wow. It's like something where it's like, no, he's trying to just, he's, he, he's making it distinct from, it's, it doesn't mean it's perfect, right? Um, but, and so God's law is forming a whole new culture that, you know, is referred to someday, like more humane, more moral, mm-hmm. more just, more uh, fair, more equitable, uh, more compassionate, um, uh, more benevolent in terms of whatever hierarchy there might be in terms of how the powerful treat the powerless and yeah, the, yeah. how the, the haves treat the have-nots and so forth. So, um, so if we think of Israel in that sense, that even their privileged place uh, in God's heart and in God's plan was was to be used to display of what was possible even for others. It was to draw people towards something better. So let's flesh this out in our own context right now. In terms of um, somehow straddling this fence that we're in. uh, Oh, this is where we lose everybody, right? This is where it's happening. This is is where we lose everybody. (laughs) So so here's the divide in our country right now. And these are broad generalizations. There's only one. No. Good. Yeah. Is you've got a side of people who um, want to, in terms of history, reject uh, anything good or anything. uh, They want to point out uh, American history is so bad that it needs to be disavowed. And America needs a complete overhaul. Right. Right. And the other side, you've got maybe uh, 
on the other extreme, this idea of, no, America is God's country, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it's Israel 2.0. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it is amazing. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be spending any time talking about its faults. Uh, how dare you um, American keep America um, great again, yeah, that sure. kind of stuff, right? Um, and so th- you've got these two extremes. And, and obviously there's Christians on both sides of those extremes, but I think there's a lot of Christians stuck in the middle of that divide. And Certainly I'm, feeling the tension of, yes, and pull and feeling the, the tension of, of one. And, and I'm not making a comparison here to Peter and Israel and us in America, but, but I see some similarities in, in how we wrestle with these things. Mm-hmm. So I think for a lot of us, there's this, there's this undeniability of, man, Yes, our nation has some qualities and some freedoms and some foundations that uh, have led to some amazing flourishing and I think some honoring towards God in some ways um, that should that it's just, you can't you can't turn your eye out of and should, we should be appreciative of, right? But I think also there's a lot of there's a lot of people who on on the other side of the coin in the same thought think yeah we we as a country have parts of our history that are terrible that are that are things that that we should uh, we should hurt over and, and maybe do need to change a little bit it's kind of this it's, it's this tension of uh, I'm not way over here and I'm not way over here right how do I think about this mm-hmm. and I think one of the problems is uh, the people on the one side that want to reject the past of America and want to overhaul it mm-hmm. um, that's their religion, and that's their religious apocalypse, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of, of that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. And over here, you've got these people who want to hold on to some sort of um, American exceptionalism, or uh, or or just uh, this this kind of dream fairy tale idea of America that that also seems a little unrealistic to 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 think through. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing the the way uh, Peter has to deal with his own tensions between cultures is uh and what's the what's the thing that that makes him straddle the fence the gospel yeah yeah isn't that interesting i I, there's a lot of criticism right now of people who straddle fences um for not being bold enough on one side or another and Mm -hmm. um you're probably not going to find that from me (laughs) as much uh i i i think it's yeah it's a it's a precarious moment historically for us, but I, I think, uh, okay, so I, I was actually just posting on Facebook this morning, uh, something about, uh, from Isaiah five, where, uh, God says, pronounces a sort of judgment coming on. He says, woe to you mm-hmm. who call good evil and evil good. Mm-hmm. Woe to you who call light darkness and darkness light. And so, um, how we, the moral categories that we think in yeah. are are really important to God. And I think if we're taking... So I, I think we're too often taking our cues from the culture and from uh, even, not, even beyond the culture, from the right now pressure or like the yeah. hot button issue right now. Like where, where do we... We have to be on the right side of history and that means this for right now. <laughs> for sure. Um, so we take a lot of our cues from that and, and, I, and I just want to keep urging us to, man, pull back from that and let's think in biblical categories. 
And so if we think of Israel as the actual chosen people of God, the actual chosen nation set apart from among all these other nations of the earth by God, um, do the scriptures whitewash Israel's flaws? Absolutely not. (laughs) Not even slightly, right? Mm -hmm. The Bible is incredibly real about the flaws of God's chosen people God never stops identifying himself with them, never abandons his covenant with them. And yet we have all the prophetic books, um, you know, all the, the, even the historical books that, I mean, massive failure as a historical cycle for Israel that brought cycles of judgment and, and God's, um, um, you know, even to the point where he's giving his own people over to enemy uh, peoples because of how evil they were and how far they had strayed. And so, God is altogether upfront with us in his word about even his own people, the, the darkness there, yeah. the failures there, the moral failure, um, the, uh, the spiritual failures, the social failures, all these things. So that tells me that as Americans, we're on safe biblical ground to, to stare the worst of our history in the face. Mm-hmm. So... Let's not be above that, right? And be grateful to God for the the flourishing of our history as well. Yeah, yeah. That in spite of a lot of that, yeah. God has been incredibly gracious. We live in an, we live in the most affluent, material materially comfortable um, society in history, right? So it's amazing, yeah. and so we have simultaneously. The favor and the blessing of God, not for anything intrinsic to us, but for whatever reason. Um, I, I've, I've quoted this song before. There's a, uh, by Rich Mullins. He has a song called Land of My Sojourn in which he's talking about growing up in America. And, and, and one of the lines in it is he says, no one tells you when you get born here how much you'll come to love it, but how you'll never belong here. And so I'll call you my country, but I'll be longing for my home. And I wish that I could take you there with me. Yeah. And so he's speaking about an American citizen whose primary citizenship lies in heaven, yeah. right? That, that what a blessing to be born here, raised here, live here, flourish here. And yet this is not where we belong. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so God's grace to us as a country in many different ways. And yet none of that excuses or, or affords us the, the ability to gloss over, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the sort of um, dark past and, and even present of like things that are, um, that are uh, in some form <laughs> mirror images of Israel. And not, yeah. We're not Israel, I'm, no. you know, that, uh, I, I, I'm not saying that, but, but we, we kind of, like every human society, have components and elements of, of our culture and uh, politics and society that are, um, that are far beneath yeah. Uh, God's standards uh, for morality and justice and such. So I, I think we have to sit in the tension from a biblical perspective of going, hey, we have this dark stuff in our history. We have God's favor upon us historically. We have dark things in our present moment, God's favor in different ways in this present moment. And the question is, um, how are we going to respond to God? Yeah. I think what's lacking on both sides of these extremes is the absence of a, of a theological superstructure to make sense of things. So what, what I mean by that is, is if you don't have a biblical understanding of sin nature, mm-hmm. 
Then on the one side, on the side that says, because there's dark stuff in the past, we need to cancel everybody from the past and we need to overhaul the now. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a, have an understanding of, uh, of, of sin and God's grace and reconciliation, then there's no, there's no, there's no reconciliation there. There's no peace there. It's continually blowing things up because you find one thing wrong and therefore the whole system needs to be blown up. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there's, there's, there's no peace there. It's it's always blowing things up because you find one thing wrong. It's, mm -hmm. it's it's almost like a legalism of some sort. On the other side, the side that says it's taboo, it's wrong to even think about anything dark or from our past or, or dealing with present uh, problems because of how great we are. I think that also lacks an ability to to recognize sin and 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 wrestle with the with the reality of sin in everything um, as well. Both, so, both at the individual level and at the level of where sin embeds itself in or even codifies itself yeah. within a society and culture. Absolutely. So, right. so, so having a biblical understanding of sin in people, in nations, in societies, uh, if you don't have that... It's hard to make sense of these things without going to those extremes. Right. Whereas, it, with with an understanding that sin has entered the world, that it's affected all things, mm -hmm. um, but that God has not left the world to to basically die off on its own. He has a reconciling plan for the world. Um, so having both of those things in concert with each other helps me one face the sin of both individually and as a society, our past and our our current situation, but also not get to a point where I, where I can say, no, I can, I can see even in the midst of that, God has been gracious to us. Mm -hmm. And even in the midst of now, I, I, I'm not going to, to throw everything out or act like everything's just perfect because it's, it's, it's the same story as me. I mean, <laughs> I have a sinful past. I have a sinful present. I'm getting better. God's been gracious to me. He was gracious to me then, even in my lowest sinful moments, he rescued me out of darkness. And now I still have sin in my life, but yet God is moving me forward. Like I have a way to grapple with these things that are that are part of the just how the world works mm -hmm. um, in a way that balances them out and actually helps me make sense of of what's going on in the big world because I see it in my own life. Yeah. So I, I now one of the things that's different, right, is that if in our understanding of biblical truth, right, is you you and I both would believe that that there is a trajectory that we are on, right? Um, that because we are in Christ, yes. there is, we're in the process of being sanctified. Yes. Um, and there is a level of guarantee that we will be, you know, first Corinthians 15, there's that past, present, future reality of, of salvation. So we have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Yes. Um, that's not true for America. Oh, absolutely. It's not right? true for so, nations. So, right. right. So, so there is, uh, it's true for the church. Yes. It's not true for yes. countries. And, and so I think that's where a lot of people find themselves is they love this country and they see in their minds it, it eroding and, and losing it. And, and I do think we have to reconcile with the fact that this is the, this is the ebb and flow of countries throughout all of history, and it will be that the church is eternal, nations yeah. are not, yeah. and so nations will rise and fall. You yeah. know, I mean, this is this is the the cycle. Yeah. And I and I think and I think that's one of the hard things that we as American Christians haven't had to deal with is 
we're, we're called to invest in our, in our nation, in our society, in our culture, but yet we're called not to be tethered to it. Right. Right. And I think that's really hard. I think that's really hard. I think it's some, it, it's yeah. this exile mentality that I think it, it, which I want to, there's a verse I want to point to in a second, um, that kind of applies that. That's really hard to wrestle with. It's like be in the world, but not of the world, but you're an exile here, but you're mm-hmm. called to, to make a difference here. Right. So maybe just thinking about this, this in particular and how we're talking about this with America, I, I looked up a tweet that I'd sent you a few weeks ago from, um, Ray Ortland, mm. um, where he's talking about the idea of, of, yes, we're trying to reject the idea of an American Jesus, right? This, you know, the white Christmas Jesus, right? <laughs> um, but we can't do this. And this is what he says. He says, uh, we don't love Jesus by despising our nation. A non-incarnational faith, meaning a non-incarnational faith, meaning Jesus coming to uh, the world, uh, doesn't make us faithful to Christ. It makes us bad missionaries to America. Mm. I hope Christians love their Lord and secondarily love their nation enough to care about its future. That's wise, isn't it? It is wise. Love that guy. <laughs> but you see that tension there of, of yeah. yeah. my first call is to the Lord, even if this nation falls. Right. But my, but, but, and I, I think the love of Christ compels me. It, it to, compels you. And what it doesn't let you do is say, I'm not going to care about any of it and just stand in the corner and watch it all go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true, as true for Nigerian Christians. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Somalian Christians and you know, South Korean Christians. Christians and Canadian well not Canadian I mean you don't have to love Canada if you, I'm joking wow. I'm joking um, yeah so that's true for wherever people are born that they need to love their nation as a fruit of loving Christ yes and so they want to do good within and, and move the ball forward towards yeah um, towards something that would be more uh, honoring to Christ within their country. And, but I think there's a real tension about whether the political arm is the best means by which to do that, right? And I do yeah. believe that right now where there's a tension because Christians in America historically have had massive influence, and you could say power, mm-hmm. within earthly power structures, there is maybe an uncommon tendency within our culture and in our country to leverage earthly power structures for kingdom purposes or advancement, if that makes sense. And I do think we have to be a little bit careful about that. I mean, part of it is that our, our democratic Republic kind of framework allows for that Mm -hmm. in a different way than maybe a lot of countries would, but, but there is a, a, so the church, we as Christians are to, uh, labor for the good of our country and our people and, and all those things. I'm, but I think we have to grapple pretty seriously with the means by which we do that. Yeah. And in politics, voting, um, activism, that's one, those are, that's one sphere. Yeah. But there's also other ways, right? And there's yeah. some, there's, there are things outside of the normal earthly power structures um, where I do think historically the kingdom has advanced more faithfully and fruitfully outside of earthly structures, more so than within it. Yeah. And that's not to say no earthly structures have been yeah. leveraged or, or 
or used rightly or wisely or for legitimate good. Obviously, that's not they, they have. Yeah. But I but I think on balance, there is at times when you get when you embed yourself within the earthly power structures, there's a corrupting kind of influence there um, that that can be very compromising. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but. I think with a heavy emphasis on that with Christians in power and in terms of political office and, and political activism and that sort of thing, um, I'm not saying it's wrong or anything, mm-hmm. but when you read the scriptures, they just didn't really have a category for that because the, I don't think any of the biblical authors ever <laughs> imagined Christians having that kind of yeah, law. certainly. And yeah, so, certainly when you're when you're living in a, a Ro- under the Roman Empire yeah. and that kind or of thing, or you're in exile or, in Babylon, right? Right? Yeah, those aren't. So, so I think there there could be a tendency for pe- if that's your heavy emphasis on how to to live this out. What we're talking about is through the you know moving up in in power politically. I think it could be. You could unintentionally read things into the scripture about how to do that that just aren't there because scripture doesn't have those categories yeah. to talk about with that. I mean, I just when I read when I read the New Testament, nowhere do I see Paul dealing with how will Christians vote. Right. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Not 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 that there aren't answers there. Sure. But I'm saying there's certainly wisdom into that. That was nowhere in his structure of society. Yeah. So I think if we focus too heavy on that, we miss the the riches of the scripture that tell us how to live in certain ways that were particular to to their context mm-hmm. that that are much older and richer and I think more uh, fruitful in the long term for the church and have been for thousands of years. And so uh, maybe we can end here. And here's an Old Testament example of trying to live this this idea of of you know loving our society, loving our culture, pulling the good things out, bless, uh, uh, thanking God for the blessings within our culture, but also remembering we're exiles, mm-hmm. also remembering that this is not our home, that we're on mission here, that uh, this uh, our first citizenship is not here. Um, it makes me think of uh, Israel's exile. Obviously, they were in exile a few times, but this was particularly in uh, Babylon. It's a very famous chapter of Jeremiah Bible, 29. Jeremiah 29. Yeah. And um, Jeremiah sends a letter back to the... Yeah. He had went back to um, Jerusalem. Yeah. And he sends a letter to the, the, the Jews who are still in Babylon who are... You know, they're, they're longing for their own place. They're longing to go back to their country. They're, they're in this space of... Uh, of um, unsettledness, mm-hmm. I think frustration, displacement. Yeah. Yes, I mean they're they're frustrated, right, and longing for something that. And that it's they, spiritual as well as cultural, 100%. right? Like they're alienated from their 100%. spiritual uh, rhythms. Yes, they're they're set outside. It's not unlike you know the like the pandemic has sort of taken us into like these weird unexplored places yeah. spiritually. They didn't have that place. They didn't have the temple to go to. They didn't have. Uh, the rhythm of Sabbath and yeah. um, and all those things that, that were built into their normal spiritual life. So, yeah. their their normal freedoms had been taken from them and were yeah. changing. Yeah. And uh, here's what Jeremiah doesn't tell him to do. He doesn't tell him to start a start a coup and try to take over the Babylon uh, political structure. Right. He also doesn't tell him to be seclusionists who just go hide in the hills and. And uh, do church without anyone around them. Though the 
though false prophets who were prominent and, and, and were many more voices than Jeremiah's were telling them that. Yes. There was false prophets saying, sit there, like, wait it out, hunker down, kind of isolate yeah. yourselves, yeah. protect Don't yourselves. Don't get too involved. Don't, yeah, yeah, stay over here to the side, and, yeah. and very soon God's going to return you to yeah. Jerusalem. And here's what, here's what Jeremiah says in the midst of all of those kind of things pulling these exiles um, in Babylon. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I love that, by the way. Like, I sent there. Yeah. They think they were taken to exile. Yeah. God's like, no, 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 I sent you into exile. Yeah. God was sovereign over that. Verse 5, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Yeah. Simple but beautiful. Yeah. So there's two principles there that I think are really pertinent for us as we think about what it looks like in our time. And, and I, I'll be honest, I don't think either of them are popular. Mm-mm. They're simple. They're not radical, but in that they are radical. And it's what you see is a, a, a huge emphasis there on two things, locality and longevity. Mm. Right? Yeah. Be where sure. you are. Be fully invested where you are. Hyper-local. Right? Not... And I'm saying that because there's this massive fixation politically and socially in our country with um, presidential politics. National, federal, kind of removed And the truth is is that most of our everyday lives are affected far more by local institutions, local governments, local leaders, and our local neighbors. Like, that's where our lives are most affected, and that's where we can have the most impact. Yeah. So, one, locality, and then two, longevity. Yeah. That is... Where you are, invest there, and do it for a long time. That's where impact is. So he calls them the 70 years, a three-generational kind of you, your sons and daughters, and their sons and daughters, mm-hmm. right? So you got 70 years, hunker, like pour yourself into the welfare of this city yeah. for a long time. And I think in our, in our climate, we love the idea of relocation, transience, mobility for largely economic reasons sometimes. And I'm not saying nobody should ever move, nobody should ever, but like the, the normative means of impact within our world is that a people of God locate themselves in a place, give themselves to that community faithfully, humbly, uh, for a long period of time. And the impact is, is felt not in year one, year two, but maybe in year 60, year 70. Right. And so there's this multi-generational view. And so part of, part of the fruit of like generations, you plant a church and you're 10 years in like we are. And it's like, like it may be that the seeds we're sowing now, the work we're doing now, the labor we're giving ourselves to now, the families we're it may be it may be that we're all dead and gone, and it's our kids who are having more impact than we ever had. But but it's not without it's not because it's not that we're failing in that right. We're laying yeah. groundwork perhaps. So we want to have a low like a hyper local and a long 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 view of of how it is that we engage as the church where yeah. we are. Again, simple. We want big plans. We want radical change. We want all of these things. We want quick. We want fast. We want big. Yeah. The Lord says, recognize you're in exile. Have a family. 
<laughs> right? Invest in your local city. Yeah. And pray for the love welfare it. of your city. Yeah, love it. Pray for Those it, sir. Such like, simple things, but that's how God asks us to do things. Yeah. Well, there you go. Amen. We've solved all of your political problems. Yeah. And no uh, doubt. You're and, welcome. Yes. And all free of charge. Yes. If if uh, anyone from CNN or Fox News is listening, we're available for <laughs> prime time for slots interviews. only. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. Um but thanks guys. We'll uh we'll see you next week. Peace out.